So with that sense of the quietness, I'm drawn to the Hebrew prophet Elijah. Elijah was having more than a bad day. Persecuted, depondent, desolate, probably depressed. And he was a bit angry with God. So there was some argy-bargy going on. And his challenge to God was, where are you? You've promised and you haven't delivered. If we're honest with ourselves, we all have those conversations with God at times. There are moments in our Christian experience where God seems a long way away. And we cannot be honest about that because we're not dealing with plastic Christianity. We're dealing with real faith. So in Kings 1, 1 Kings chapter 19, we read these words. The Lord said to Elijah, Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, and the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face, went out and stood the mouth of the cave. And of course he pulled the cloak over his face because in Hebrew tradition, if you saw the face of God, you were surely going to be consumed by his holiness. For those of you old enough to remember Manning Clark as one of our great but controversial historians, he spoke about Australian faith being a whisper in the mind and a shy hope in the heart. A quiet faith. I know we love the spectacular, but often the things that are most meaningful, most in touch, are things of the heart that are quiet, whisper in the mind and a shy hope in the heart. And like Elijah's encounter with God, we find Jesus defying expectations as well. Consistent with Jesus' posture throughout the Gospels, Jesus again, leading up to Easter with Palm Sunday, refuses any attempt to be a political leader or ruler. He reminds us that the kingdom is not one of this world. And in defying these expectations, Jesus is disruptive. He rephrases, reshapes, reimagines in a different way what life should be as one of his followers. And as we read those gospel stories, we find his, his followers clueless at best. But let's not be too harsh on them, because I think if we were there, we too would have understand what Jesus was saying, because the resurrection makes sense of it all. But Jesus holds up for them a new future. And as we look at the resurrection narratives that we're going to sit with over the next couple of minutes, we see a couple of spectacular things for sure, but we're not going to those. Our theme is Jesus connecting with his crew, restoring life and relationship to grieving people. We see God's yes to Jesus in these stories, but we see it in the ordinary, in the quiet, in the reflective. So four resurrection stories where often Jesus was not at first recognised. And so we find Jesus of Nazareth, the risen alive Jesus. Jesus the Christ, Jesus the Messiah, 
And this day of all days, we proclaim with the church through the ages that Jesus is alive and Christ is risen. As you reflect on each well-known story, I invite you to imagine being present in it. It may be helpful to think about, as you take yourself into the story, what you see, what you hear, what you smell, what colours are vibrant, what are muted, what is the pace on the road, the rhythm of the ocean, the beat of your heart. In these ancient yet contemporary stories of life lived and shared with Jesus, where do you experience that whisper in your mind and that shy hope in your heart? So our first story is the encounter on the Emmaus Road. On the way home, Cleopas and most likely his wife have left the big city heading for their rural place. Deflated, they are joined by a stranger who appears clueless about current events and public affairs. So they begin to talk. As you read this story, where do you expect unexpectedly meet Jesus on your journey? On a walk in sharing life. When he was at table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognise him. Our next story is a garden. Again, Mary has been sharing life with Jesus for years but does not recognise him. What's that about? How can it be that someone so well known is so hidden from them? Is it what we're looking for that they can't find? Is it the expectations that they have? And yet, don't recognise Jesus standing in front of them. And again, let's not be quick to have a view. For when have we missed seeing Jesus? Remember, his words about seeing him as a stranger in need of care. His word about caring for the widow, the orphan, the oppressed. It's where we often find Jesus, but don't always recognise him. So you are with Mary in the garden. A bit witless because of the angels, they're a bit scary. Your senses are quivering. What are your senses telling you about this place? What are you experiencing, seeing and hearing? Come into that garden and find the gardener. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, teacher. So we've had a journey on a rural road. We've gone back to a gravesite in a garden. Our next reflection is in community, in a gathering. That's the upper room. From meeting Jesus unexpectedly on the road, we now meet him in the gathering of the people of faith. They are disillusioned, their dreams unfulfilled. Yet somehow they cling together with the memory of Jesus having them in some way. They're also huddling together, possibly fearful, but despite the news of the day from Cleopas and Peter and the women, because they're afraid of persecution too. And Jesus enters the room. 
Again, it might be helpful to think about what you see in this room, what you hear, what you smell, what colours are vibrant, which ones are muted. What are the questions, the energies in the room? And are you experiencing a whisper and a shy hope? And Jesus told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. Our fourth encounter is a little time later. It's no longer in Jerusalem, for the disciples have returned to their home in Galilee, to the life they knew. So they go fishing to ply their trade. An ordinary night, doing an ordinary activity with friends and colleagues. In the morning, they notice someone on the beach with a fire cooking breakfast. But at first, again, don't recognise Jesus. Two ordinary activities, two normal events, until one of them, traditionally John, recognises Jesus. Where do you place yourself in this story? In the boat, dragging the net in? In the water with Peter, with his impulsiveness jumping out yet again? Or on the beach with him and the others, sharing breakfast with Jesus around a fire? As you sit in your place, in this story, what do you notice? What are you curious about? What's going on for you? What are the rhythms? Where is the ocean? Where are the fish? But where is Jesus? When the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say it's the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off and jumped into the water. I have a bit of a confession. I've been going through very old theological books in our uh, uh, recycling bin is a third full. But a couple I haven't thrown out by a French worker priest of the, the movement of the 1970s, Michel Coist. And his book is, various books are about prayers of life, where his prayers focus on the ordinary is walking down the street and grateful for seeing Jesus in the market stall holder. His gratefulness for something as simple as a bicycle that allows him to travel around the parish. Prayers of life in the ordinary. The other book, and it's online, you can get it and have a look. Uh, somebody I studied with, Cassidy Dale, when I was at Drew. Cassidy's one of those clever people who looks at the future and thinks what might happen. And so when disasters happen, people go to Cassidy Dale and say, what plan should be put in place? He's that sort of amazing, gentle soul, a reflective soul. He's written a great little book, and it's called The Night and the Gardener. We began talking about how we want spectacular, and what Cassidy suggests is 
a lot of the church want Jesus to be the knight charging in to rescue, to proclaim and to rule. And of course he's picking up the image of Jesus and Mary Magdalene. We find Jesus in the gardener, in the one who, one who curates, the one who builds, who cultivates, who grows. And so Jesus meets us in the ordinary too, in the unexpected. And as we look to follow King Jesus, we're in our journey, our journey home, in our gathering, over breakfast, or simply in the ordinary, do we find Jesus? Where in our posture and practice do we bring Jesus? To our neighbours, the people we meet at the checkout, in the workplace, wherever we find ourselves. Most importantly, with the personality and the abilities that have been given to us. For we should not try and be someone else. We should be who Jesus has made us to be. That's really important. And as our church season rolls on, in the next few weeks, 40 days, we'll be reminded of Pentecost, the gift of the Holy Spirit, of the gift of the Spirit to Jesus, to his followers. We'll be reminded that Jesus lives in us and through us with his Spirit. It is from this place that we will be those who carry the gospel, the good news of Jesus to others, in gentle, ordinary, relational ways, just as Jesus did. Can I invite the band to come up and lead us before the first of our communions, because there'll be a communion as we remember, but communion, uh, the communion of relationship over coffee.